The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. It's good to have all of you here today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3. We've just been rolling through these minor prophets for the last year, and we are nearing uh, the end. And so that's what Sean was referring to in that new sermon series coming up. But before we get there, we got to finish what we started. Amen? Oh, that's good. I like, I like that kind of amen. I mean, get me fired up. Last week, Brian, man, you got me fired up, bro. You were just vocal. I'm used to it coming off the front row with Shay, but um, with him not being here and you there, I was like, what is going on? Um, anyway, uh, so last week, we, the last couple of weeks, we were talking about... Um, we got to this real famous, like th- this is probably one of the, the most known passages out of the minor prophets is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Um, and, and another one would have been Malachi chapter 2, and it dealt with divorce, right? And so when, we, when you dive into that and you work through these books verse by verse, man, you see there's a whole lot there uh, for the kingdom of God. And we learned that um, that 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 chapter two, it had to do more with oneness, like living out our oneness with, with our, our, our spouses, our um, children, children with parents trying to be one. I had to get on to my kids after that sermon. I used that all week, man. I rode that, that horse hard. It's like I, t- I told them I forgot to talk about oneness with siblings. And, uh, and so we, we learned about, man, that chapter was really about how, how important oneness is in the kingdom of God and how it really plays itself out in the family unit. And then it's to go on beyond that to the spiritual family as well. And then we learned about um, the refiner following that and how God takes us through this refining process and, and, and really he's restoring the purity of the Levitical priesthood. That God chose this guy by the name of Levi when he gave Moses the uh, law way back early on in Israel's history as a nation, and Levi was the first priest, and and so the priest had gotten really corrupt, and they were offering lame sacrifices when they were violating the covenant in so many different ways, and so the Lord basically talks about this oneness, then he talks about offering pure offerings, and he basically says, I'm going to refine a people and, and create a priesthood. And what's fascinating is when we get to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter teaches us that there's the priesthood of the believer, that we all become priests. And so that was a prophecy that was fulfilled through Christ's coming and uh, reconciling the sinner to himself and changing us into a priesthood so that we might offer ourselves as living sacrifices before the Lord. And so when we get um, to chapter 3, we see that being played out and the Lord giving some more instruction there. Now, what's fascinating about us is that we like to test things, okay? So it's, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, most of you know, uh, and if, if you're new, you will find out, well, you'll find out today and you'll hear about it from time to time. I, I love to bow hunt, all right? And, and so when I go hunting, I always try to stay uh, in a place where I'm fairly confident with my ability to shoot my bow. Like there's, there's not much um, m- room for error when you're bow hunting. Uh, it, it can, bow hunting can be like this incredible high, 
and, and it can, like, you can have this incredible experience, but if you make a bad shot on one of these incredible um, whitetail animals, and it, it can just, like, amen, Brian? Amen, just, and you're just like, and you can spend two days trying to find something that you wounded. And, and so, like, fortunately, I have, I've not had that, that uh, happen to me in quite some time. But, but when, when I practice, I'm practicing to make sure that, that I'm more confident when it all goes down, that I have some muscle memory. But even when season rolls around, like when season rolls around, man, you're just scraping for every you know, extra time you can find to, to spend a little time in a tree stand. And you're packing your bow in and out. And sometimes like I, I pack camera gear in with me and film things. And, and man, my bow, sometimes it's strapped on my back. Sometimes I'm carrying it. Um, it gets banged around and, and you, you start to get nervous. I wonder if my sight has gotten knocked off. And so you always, in the back of your mind, you worry about things like that. And so if I can have a few shots before a hunt, like if I can shoot two arrows um, the day before a hunt or something, man, it just, my confidence level like just goes way up because I know, man, that bow is on. I don't have to worry about that at all. And that makes me feel better. When I climb up in a tree, man, I get about 25 foot up in a tree. The first thing I do is snap myself in the harness and bounce on the tree stand a few times. Like, I want, if it's going to fall, I don't want it to fall um, when I'm not expecting it. I want to try to make it fall be, uh, beforehand. Uh, when I'm buying a car, I've been looking for a, a car for the boys, and, and uh, I want to test drive that thing. I'm working on things at the house, man. I'm working on a little electrical work. I might turn the breaker off. I've got me a little tester. I want to know. Like, when it comes to electricity, I want to know that thing is off. Um, and so we, we, it's in our DNA, man. We, we like to test stuff. You know what I'm talking about? We, we test everything. That's why we have this whole thing called dating. We're going to test this person out before I commit my life to them, right? We just test things all the time. But when it comes to the most important test that we could ever face, the one that really matters, we don't really do it. Like we never do test God out. And that's kind of fascinating if you stop and think about how we won't do anything without testing it. And when it comes to God, there's a lot of us have never tested him out. And so that's what this passage is about, is, is, is the Lord, man, he really leans into his people about their disobedience and, and how they're just kind of doing religious stuff, and they don't really know him. They're not really walking with him. And, and he talks about this whole testing thing. So we're going we're gonna to work through uh, the text, starting in chapter 3, verse 6, just six verses, I'm going to read and, and maybe comment a little bit on it and then give you a few takeaways um, that hopefully will be encouraging to you and help you in your walk with the Lord. The first thing he says is, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. And that's good news, man. He's like, I don't change. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God responds and says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." And so like the Lord, man, he just lays it out there. And there are a few things that I, I want to share with you and get you out of here um, as quickly as possible so you can enjoy this incredible day. But, th- but these things, man, are really important. And the first one is this. We learn from the text. Jesus never changes. Like, like God never changes. I was talking to somebody uh, recently about this a little bit, and uh, they were asking me, they said, well, do you think God learns? No, he has nothing to learn. He says, even after watching us all of these years, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what could he learn from us? Like, have you watched the news? There's nothing to learn from us. Uh, and so he doesn't, he, does, he doesn't learn. He doesn't change. And this is good news. And he says it here in verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. You know what God is saying there? If I did change, you would be destroyed. Like, if I didn't know how messed up you people were going to be, like, and I was surprised by it, I would probably just wipe you off the face of the earth. You would be destroyed. But I've made a promise to you, he's saying, and that's why you're not going to be destroyed is because I have promised to you and I've entered into a covenant relationship with you. And so he is not learning, and he is faithful. His mercy is constant. Like, I'm blown away by that, that I wake up in the morning and I I talk to the Lord, and I sometimes I I just look around and think about all of the things that he's done in my life, the encouraging things that have happened, and and all that is good around me, and everything's certainly not perfect, but man, I'm just blown away by the blessing, and I see the mercy of God falling on my life. Like, what what I really deserve um, I'm, I'm not getting. I'm getting so much more than I deserve. And the Lord, is, His mercies, they're new every morning. And he, he never changes in that. His promises, when He says something in His Word, and we enter into a covenant relationship with Him, and we can read His Word, He never changes from that. Now what's crazy in our culture is there are people who stand in positions like mine and say, yeah, well, we got to shift a little bit because we're not living in the same time. Well, he's right. We're not living in the same time. People who teach things like that, they're right. We're, we're not living in the same time, but we're, we're still listening to and following the same God. And, and he knew what this time was going to be like when he wrote the word and had it preserved through the men that he had it preserved through thousands of years ago. God doesn't change. And so when we look at this, what, what we see is there's comfort and there's grace in his unchangeableness. Can you imagine trying to follow a, be, a being that we say is higher than us, that is supernatural, that he created us, and he's always changing? How in the world would we ever be able to function normally if God were always changing? And he's saying to us, I don't change. And what we learn is people change, but Jesus doesn't. Never has, never will. The same Jesus that returns to the planet will be the Jesus that walked the planet 2,000 years ago. He never changes. And so when, when we look at this and we see that people change, and because they change, 
it can make it hard to find Jesus. It really can. Because you may be feeling that today. Like you may be feeling, man, maybe you've come for a few weeks now and you're, you're like, you've been around a, a few of us like, and you see, man, I, I have a pretty solid relationship with the Lord. And I don't say that in any kind of uh, uh, egotistical way. I'm just, man, I'm humbled by that. Now I love the Lord, man. I walk with the Lord and I have the joy of the Lord, man. I have the passion of the Lord. I, I mean, the Lord is just like, he's in me, man. And it's the most important thing in my life. And, and hopefully that's, that's encouraging to you. And it, it, it helps you to want to develop that same kind of relationship with him. And maybe you, you've watched uh, uh, Pastor Shea a little bit. And you're like, man, man, he just seems like he's so in love with the Lord. And, and his walk is just like inspiring to me. Um, or may, maybe Pastor Sean or, or any of the staff, um, you look and you, you, you go, man, like th- these people, they just seem like they're so like in love with Jesus. And, and it just seems so difficult for me to get there. I don't, I don't understand um, how, how I can get there. And you feel a little bit like that. How do I uh, find the Lord? And here's, here's the second takeaway. Turn around and you'll find Jesus. Just turn around. Nothing special about me. The, the way that I was able to find the Lord and walk in this relationship that I'm in with him is I simply turned around and found that he was there. Verse 7 says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Like He's telling us, men, you walked away. And so our, our, our obedience in that, if we're going to be intimate with the Lord, is just to turn around. And so the Lord is saying, I am where I always am. <laughs> like He never changes. And so in that, I, I, I hear him saying, you walked away from me. And you know, I, Moses, he asked, when God told him, he said, hey, I want you to go and, and, and tell the Pharaoh, the, the, the leader of the superpower of the day, to let my people go. And he says, well, who am I, like when I go and tell them that you sent me, who am I supposed to tell your people that you are? And he said, you tell them I am has sent you. I am that I am. This is one of the reasons why Jesus in, in the Gospel of John, they say he's a blasphemer. Uh, because, is he's, is because he says, before Abraham was, I am. He equates himself to, like, to God in that statement. He's saying, I am God. And so Jesus is always in the same place. And the Lord, this, this is encouraging. Like, in rebellion, we walk away. Right? But, but the Lord doesn't walk away. He's faithful to his promises. So he is always in the same place. So in rebellion, we walk away, and the Lord is actually close to us. Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Like, do we get further away from God when we are in rebellion? No. Why? Because God is omnipresent. Like, he's everywhere. So I'm no further from the Lord when I'm in rebellion than when I am walking away from him. Not in his eyes. I'm in the same place. I'm, I'm in the same proximity with God, walking in my disobedience as I am in my obedience. And so here's the deal. The problem is that in rebellion, he is behind us and we can't see him. He's right behind me. And so I'm walking away from him and he's still right behind me. So he knows everything that I'm doing all the time. He knows when I'm walking in my sin and we think that maybe he doesn't, but he does. He's right there. 
Like he's always in the same place. He never changes. What happens is I change and I move. I try to move away from God. But how fast am I going to run to get some distance between me and God? If he is God and he's all-powerful, I can't run fast enough. I can't hide in a good enough spot. He is always there. The problem is, is I've put him behind me and he is no longer functioning as my father but he's functioning as somebody in my mind. What happens is I create, or we create, human beings create uh, the wrong view of God, a bad theology. They begin to think of God like a, a policeman. Is he going to see me? Does he have his radar on? Am I going to pass a radar? And he go boop, and, it, and then it's like, okay, well, maybe he did see me when I know I've done something wrong, and then I'm looking in the rearview mirror going, is he going to pull out? <laughs> he always has his radar on. None of us ever get by with anything. His radar is on the globe. Boop! He knows the speed at which everyone is traveling. He knows every law that we're breaking, when we break it, how we break it, if we wanted to break it, or if we didn't want to break it. He has his radar on the globe. He never changes. He's always in the same place. The problem is, is we have changed, and we are moving away from him. You see, in obedience, he is in front of us, and we are following him. So like when we feel like we don't know what to do in order to get close to the Lord, you simply turn around. He's there. The scripture says, Jesus said, I have come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent just means to change your mind, to change the way that you're thinking. And so repent is, is, is a 180. It is to turn around. And so when I feel like God is far from me and I look at other people and it says, man, and I feel in my, my, my heart, I'm like, boy, I wish I could have a relationship with the Lord like that person right there has a relationship with them. All you got to do is turn around. God is right there. It, it, you're not going to, it, it's not like you go and, and, and you say, man, well, maybe in five years I can be where Pastor Jimmy's at in his relationship with the Lord. No. You can, you can do it in five seconds. Like when I got right with the Lord, man, I just turned around, and he was there, and the joy of the Lord just filled my soul, and it's never waned. As a matter of fact, it has only intensified as the years have passed, as I've continued to learn how to keep myself turning around when I know I've done something in rebellion to the Lord. And so I live in a place where I constantly want to know, man, this is a time for a U-turn for you, Holbrook. You, you've just done something that is not necessary. It doesn't line up with the kingdom. And you're trying in this moment to put the Lord behind you and you want to keep him in front of you. So I turn around in that moment. Here's the difference between people is, is, is that some people try to live with the Lord behind them and some people try to live with the Lord in front of them. And when you try to live with the Lord behind you, you are living in the practice of sin. You are, you're trying to walk in disobedience constantly. And the Lord says to his people in this, this Old Testament prophet, I never change. Return to me and I'll return to you. And so it's simply turn around. And so the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the objective for us 
is to be people who want to turn around before we realize we may have done something that was offensive to the Lord. And what happens is, well, how do I live that way? Well, man, I got to get in the Word. And the more I get in the Word, the more the Word falls on my, my mind and I start thinking like Jesus and I quit thinking like myself and I keep Him in front of me and I take on the mind of Christ and I start thinking like Christ and I start walking in this place of transformation and I start controlling myself in ways that I didn't care anything about controlling myself before. And that's why the scripture says that, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone as the new has come. You see, when the Lord gets a hold of you, you will feel a tug because you will have put him in front of you. When, you've, when you repent and you turn around and you put the Lord in front of you, then all of a sudden, man, you feel different. And, and you, like, you feel him pulling you. And as you continue to take a step in obedience and keep walking, because here's the thing, man. Jesus doesn't stay still. He's moving, and so he wants us to follow with him. He wants us to keep in step with him, and so he's constantly moving, and if we're in a walk in obedience, we just keep walking with him, and he will keep calling us to take another step of obedience, and as we keep taking that step, those steps of obedience, man, the kingdom of heaven just starts to drop on our lives, and we start to walk in this place of, we, you know, Jesus said power and authority will fall on your life. The, the Father has given me power and authority, and I'm going to give it to you, but he doesn't give it to you if you keep him behind you. It's not coming. And part of the problem in the American church today is we got too many people sitting in the pews that are doing the work of the kingdom. They're attempting to do the work of the kingdom and they have no power and authority because they're trying to keep Jesus behind them instead of in front of them. And so transformation is not a one-time event. It's a place in which we live that we're constantly being transformed. The scripture says that we are to be sanctified. It's called spiritual growth. And so I'm constantly being reformed in the image of Christ. And he's constantly shaping me. And I'm constantly like coming into uh, this place of being transformed into the image of Christ and the power of God is continuing to roll on my life. This is why there, there's scriptures that we find things like don't quench the spirit. How do you quench the spirit? By in a moment where you know that Jesus is in front of you and asking you to take a step and you don't take that step and you try to put him behind you, you've quenched the spirit and the power of God cannot fall on your life. The authority of God cannot fall on your life. Even though it is there and it is available for God, he never changes and he says it won't fall on us. And so like we, we look at that, we go, wow, man, it's that simple. Why is it so hard? Because rebellion always equals confusion. Look at verse 7. He says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. And they ask, how are we to return? When you walk in rebellion, it, it can get really confusing. And, and one of the reasons it's confusing is because disobedience always brings about confusion in your life. One of the things that I like to do when I'm faced with a, de a decision, a big decision in, in our home, with my life, with the, with the ministry here at the church, is I pray a prayer, I call it the prayer of peace and confusion. And I just ask the Lord, Lord, if I'm, if I'm, supposed, to, if I'm supposed to do this, if I'm supposed to step forward in this purchase or in this uh, shift, whatever it may be, then every time I think about it, help me to feel peace. Like every time I think about it, God, just let your peace fall on my life so that I can, I can hear clearly. But Lord, if you don't want me to do it, then every time that I think about it, help me to feel confused. And so I know very clearly, man, when I feel confused, this is not of the Lord because he is not the author of confusion. 
And so when I'm walking in obedience to him, I won't feel confused all the time. That doesn't mean I won't feel afraid. It doesn't mean that there won't be times that I have to step forward and have some courage. You say, well, why does the Lord want me to do that? Why doesn't he just make it easy? Because he's trying to teach you how to get the most out of life and the kingdom to fall on your life in a very powerful way. If, if he just made it to where like, there were no faith necessary, how fun would that be? That would be like, you know, <laughs> be like fishing up at Shields when they bring the tank in and all the fish are in there and they're hungry. Who wants to do that, man? You want to throw your plug out there. You want that lure out there. You want to work that thing. You, don't, you want to think there's something up there because you saw the disturbance of the water. You don't want to know how big it is. And when that thing hammers that thing, you want to be able to shout on the boat, right? And so you have to work at these things. And the scripture says, work out your salvation. And so it's not like sometimes there will be um, experiences where God has said he is faithful and it requires courage and overcoming our fear to step into that obedience. Um, but he is always there. And when we, when we walk in that, when we walk in that obedience, we will find um, that the Lord is there and he's always raining down his blessing on our lives, and it helps us to increase our, first of all, our desire to obey him at a greater level, and our faith so that he can continue taking us on this journey and accomplish the work of the kingdom. Another reason it's confusing, if it's so simple, it's confusing, is there simply aren't enough people who say that they're believers that are doing it. That's why it's confusing. There's too many people that say they know Jesus and there's nothing different about their lives. There's nothing, there's no power and authority falling on their lives. We look at them and they say, all they do is go to church. And people are thinking, I like my Sundays. Like, I like to stay out late on Friday. I don't want to get up uh, early on Saturday. And I don't want to spend a couple of hours up there singing songs that I don't understand. And they look at our lives, and if they don't see anything different, there's no reason for them to come. But when they see somebody walking in power and authority, and when they see somebody getting shifted into the image of Jesus and more power and authority falling on their lives, they begin to ask themselves, why are things happening well for this person? Or when this person does have something happening difficult in their lives, how are they able to just kind of navigate through it much with less difficulty than I am able to? And they start asking questions, and so that's, that's how the gospel is spread. And so one of the reasons it's confusing to find Jesus, even though it's so simple, is because there's not enough people who have really found him. They just think they have. When you, when you encounter a person who has found Jesus, and they walk in power and authority, it will not take you more than a few hours with them to figure it out. That's just the way it is. I'm discipling a couple who lives out of town, and I was like, man, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to look this week and see if you can recognize somebody who's walking in power and authority. And the, the brother came back. He's like, man, I think I found somebody. And, I, and so my next assignment was to him, you need to tell that person. You need to say, hey, man, what, what, you need to just ask them this question. Why is it that you seem like you function differently than everybody else? And I said, here's why you need to ask him. He's your brother. And you will immediately connect with him because we are part of the family of God. And we go back to chapter 2 in that oneness. We all become one. One in what? One in Jesus. And so we share the same royal blood that was spilt for us on the cross of Calvary and has awakened us and allowed the Spirit of God to move into us. And when we walk in power and authority, we want to be around other people who walk in power and authority. 
And when that happens and you get a group of people, man, and they're starting to believe that way, and they're starting to believe that the Lord wants to do something significant in their lives, that he does want to open up heaven and pour power and authority down upon their lives, and they start walking in that obedience and that power and that authority starts to fall, then a movement begins to happen. And cities begin to get transformed because revivals take place because people are accessing something that is, that is not seen with the physical eyes. It's seen with spiritual eyes. It, it's invisible to the uh, known world around us. Like it is something that we walk in in the spirit and, and power and demonstration of the, uh, of the spirit. And as that falls on us, man, it, it is, it's contagious. And people want it. Like we, we are not a part of a cult where we have to go talk people into believing a lie. We have the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And as it sets you free, then it get, it, the kingdom makes its way into you, and then it wants to find its way out of you, and people know truth when they hear it. And so, like, as we do that, man, as we walk in that power and authority, one of the things that, that again, it is simple. Turn around. Jesus is there. Repent and believe. The kingdom is at hand. All you have to do is to change your, your way of thinking and believe in the word of God as the truth and start submitting and surrendering to it. And you will see that your life will begin to turn into this, this thing that like you, you just know, man. You know the Lord is doing something. And so like it's an amazing journey, but it can be confusing. And so the, the people say, how? How do we turn around? And the Lord answers them in verses 8 through 12. And what he does is Jesus invites us to test him so we will learn to trust him. You might say, well, Jimmy, you say Jesus a lot, and we're in the Old Testament. Why don't you say God? I'm going to tell you why I don't say God. I try to be real intentional with not saying God. Because there are too many people who mean too many different things when they say God. And I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so I want to identify, like when, when we see God talking in the Old T Testament, it might as well be Jesus talking. Same person, okay? And so like we, I want to be clear on that, man. It is the power of Jesus that enables us um, to walk in freedom. It is not the power uh, of any God. It is the power of Jesus alone. He said, I am the door. There's no other way to get in, in, into the fold but by me. He is the gate. Like he is the opening into the kingdom. And so he invites us in this Old Testament passage to test him so that we will learn to trust him. Now that's what's fascinating. Okay, so today... Let me just give a disclaimer. We're going to talk a little bit about giving because this passage talks about it. This is not, if you are not giving, this is not to make you feel guilty. Let me just say, assure you, this church is doing better financially than it has since I moved here. We got plenty of money in the bank to take care of, of what's happening in this ministry. People have sacrificially given to, for us to do a project outside of this. And so as I teach you about this giving, it is not so that I can try to increase the offering this morning. It is to try to increase the offering of your life so that you can walk in obedience to the Lord. This is one of the few places in Scripture where you will find God to say, test me in this. Like he invites us to test him. And why does he do that? Um, and, and we'll see. Now, he first says, <laughs> they say, how are we to return? And he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Now, that's a fascinating thing to think about. It's absurd to think of a mortal robbing God. 
like, <laughs> when we think of robbing, when we think of it, you got to th- kind of think in terms of trying to get away with something. You know, you might try to get away with something if, if you know nobody's watching. Like, you might run 80 down 69 if you know that guy's not sitting right there by Blue Valley Parkway, right, and waiting on you. You might run to get across town. But if you know he's there, you're probably, probably going to pull it back down, right? Will a man rob God? <laughs> he knows. He knows everything about you. It's like you're driving 90 down 69, and there are four guys there, and they have a speed trap set, and you know they're there, but you don't care anyway. That's, what, that's how absurd it is when, when God says, will a man rob God? And they ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. He says, basically, this is, first of all, it's absurd to think that we could rob God. But we can rob God, even though he knows it's happening. And the reason we can do it is because he's decreed life to be that way. He has given us Um, a will to make our own choices and decisions. And so he has decreed that we could rob him if we want. And so he says, you are robbing me of what is mine. And that's his answer. This This is mine. Not only are you running away from me and trying to put me behind you, but you're taking all my stuff. That's basically what this passage is saying. You're taking my stuff with you. And so the stuff that he mentions is tithes and offerings. Now, I would say that when it talks about tithes and offerings, I say that that's all that is ours. Now, in the Old Testament, a tithe means tenth. And so I would say, man, like when it comes to, here's what we do, too. Is that, well, you're supposed to give 10% of your money. I would say, first off, like everything in the Old Testament is always elevated in the New Testament. It's always like, but in the Old Testament, you're not to commit adultery. In the New Testament, if you think on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's like, raises it up. And so I would say 10% is, is a minimum. And <laughs> I would say we should not even think, because see, when we think in terms of 10%, we think in terms of, well, what is the least I could do to, in order to please God? And you shouldn't think that way. You should think, man, how has the Lord blessed me? What has he done in my life? But I wouldn't even say this has only to do with finances. This has to do with your giftedness. This has to do with your time. For some people, it would be easy for them to give 10% of their income and none of their talent to the kingdom. It's all of life. It's your giftedness. It's your time. It's, it's the things that the resources God has given to you. Like, and, and God is saying, man, you're robbing me. Like, you're robbing me of this. And he's telling them in this, this Old Testament principle, like, you're taking what is mine. I've laid out a law for you to follow. And if you would just follow and bring those tithes and offerings into the storehouse, I, I would bless you for it. And so here's the deal is, um, why don't we give? Why don't we give? Why is it hard to give? And it, it is hard, okay? So for those of you, those of you who have never practiced um, sacrificial giving and, and been consistent in it, it's a discipline. It's a discipline just like prayer or anything else. It's a way to walk out your faith. And, and so um, why, don't, why is it so hard for us? 
it is because we, we attempt to stay ahead. And we say to ourselves, I really can't afford to do it. If I could get to here, then I would begin that part of my journey. And so we attempt to stay ahead, but in fact, we actually fall behind because we're living under a curse. And God says it. He says it's cursed. He said the whole land is cursed because you are withholding the blessing that I'm raining down on your life. And so he says, bring the whole tithe and see if I don't, now watch what he says, see if I don't open the floodgates of blessing for you. That's what the, this is what the word of the Lord says. He says, I will rain down so much blessing, you won't be able to store it. And so he's saying to us, when you walk in it, you won't be able to contain it. And so God calls us to walk in obedience with this. Now, why does he do this? Very clearly, verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Why does, like, like, why does God do this? Like, it's all for his glory and to draw others into the kingdom. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so like, man, money is important. One of the number one reasons that marriages fail is conflict over money. Right? It's like money, money is, and for, for most people, money can be um, a challenging thing to, like, they don't have as much of it, right? For others who have more of it, what happens to them usually is they want more. And I don't know if it was, uh, uh, I can't remember who the rich guy who said this. I asked him, how much is enough? And he said more, right? And that's the way we view it. And so, like, we, we worry about trying to, 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 we worry about giving because we're afraid we'll fall behind. But God is making a promise here that when we take that thing that is precious, that thing that, that really money is how we survive. If you can't pay your rent, they repo your home, right? Or they kick you out and evict you. If you, if you can't pay for the things you've obligated yourself for, whether it be vehicles or other things, then they take it away from you. So money becomes your livelihood. If you don't have money um, in the bank, you can't buy food to feed your family. So we, money becomes really, really important to us. And as we sacrifice in that area of our lives, we're saying to the Lord, I trust you in this. I trust you, Lord, that I can make it further on like I, even if I just come up to the minimum, I can make it further on the ninety that you you said to utilize for the functioning of my own household. I can make it further on the ninety than I could a hundred. That's what he's saying. Well, some people say I, I can't do that. Will a man rob God? And so here's the thing: the one of the number one obstacles to living a life of freedom in the kingdom, in spiritual growth, is learning how to be a steward of the resources that God has given you. If you don't walk that out in obedience, man, your spiritual growth is going to just stop. You're, 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 you're capped. You will never go further. But if you, if you, like God says, hey, brothers and sisters, give me a test in this. And so God is specifically saying in the word, you can test me in this and see if I don't prove myself. Now, here's what you cannot do. You cannot approach God like a slot machine and say, well, God, you said this, so you have to do that. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that, that the Lord is going to rain down financial blessing. It doesn't mean that, hey, man, you, you, you give $1,000 and all of a sudden the Lord is going to bless you with $2,000. I don't believe that the New Testament teaches that. I don't believe the Old Testament teaches that. But I do believe that God will rain blessing down on your life. I do believe that things in your household will last longer. He will bring you across better opportunities because you're being faithful in what he's entrusted you. And I think the biggest thing is, is he knows he can trust you with more. And he will continue to bless you. If you meet somebody, now again, you can't, you can't approach it like a slot machine, and you can't approach it begrudgingly. Like if, don't start this with an expectation. Well, Jimmy said, Jimmy said you had to give. First of all, Jimmy didn't say anything. Jesus did. Like this is not Jimmy, right? Like this is not my favorite sermon to preach, but it's in there. It's like Prego spaghetti sauce. It's just there, so we deal with it. <laughs> it's so... So like we, we, we come across it, man, you can't go, well, I, I'm supposed to do it. No, 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 no. You got to go. Man, the Lord is saying, test me. And if he is there, he is saying he will bless me. And so my encouragement with you, for you would be test the Lord in this. And see if he is not good. See if he does not open the floodgates of blessing. What you will find is people who have walked this out, and I am one. I, like, I started giving. My mom taught me to start giving when I, I had, a, I had a, a job washing dishes at Piccadilly Cafeteria. And I tithed on my income until I put Jesus behind me, and then I stopped. But as soon as I put him back in front of me, when I was 22, man, the first thing I did is start doing that. And you know what? Like... <laughs> One of the first things I remember is like I, I gave, I was a young guy, like what, 23, 22. I gave, I didn't have very much money, and I, I, I gave, I tithed on what I made that week. And I was like, this is going to be a little tougher than last week. And all of a sudden, and I've heard so many stories like this, is I got a, a deposit that was returned from the electric company that was about the same amount that I gave. I've heard, so, I've heard so many people tell a story like that. And so some people say, well, that's just coincidence. Go on. You go on and believe that. I believe it is the Lord. And I believe it is the way the Lord was dropping a breadcrumb to say to me, keep on, bro. Because I've had things happen, man. I, like the Lord has just done things, like both financially and, and, and in other ways, man. I just, like I, 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 I wouldn't dream. I could not dream of a time in my life where I didn't, give to the kingdom. Because I, I would be more afraid. Like what happens is when you test him, he will show himself faithful and you'll start walking out and you'll go, look at man, what is going on in my life? This is what people who do this will tell you. And here's what's fascinating. If you meet some people who are wealthy, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about like, okay, they got a little bit of money. I'm talking about wealthy people, right? And they practice this they will say things to you, I have tried to give it away and it keeps coming back. I keep trying to give more away and it keeps coming back. Why? Well, the Bible even says that some people have the gift of giving. Like, that, that's part of their spiritual DNA and the Lord knows they can trust them with it. And so like, again, no, like we are not a name it, claim it church. Like we are not a, hey man, if you, if you sow some seed, then all of a sudden it's gonna grow. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, if you trust the Lord and you test him in this, he will show himself faithful. He will open up the floodgates of heaven and you will see the blessing fall in your life. Like you will see it. 
Like, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a testimony of it, and you can find people all around. Now, why? It's all for his glory and to draw other people into the kingdom. Now, here's what I want to close with. OPCC is a great place to test Jesus. Now, why would I say that? Well, one, we teach the word. Like, we're going to teach the word, we're going to preach the word, and we're not going to worry about what culture thinks. We're in a, it, we realize that Jesus doesn't change, and we're going to continue to be faithful to that. Two, I believe we're good stewards of what the Lord entrusts to us. Is that uh, coming out, my mindset has always been try to make a little bit go a long way, right? Don't just, just because you have it, give it. Three, I believe something incredible is about to happen at this ministry. I, I think it's already starting to happen. And it started a, a couple of years ago with somebody like the Lord got a hold of somebody um, and, and they gave a, a lead gift and we were about to back off of the plan that we had because we thought it was too expensive. And the Lord just sort of pulled us into it. And, and so the money was pledged to give it and then the project ended up being more than it was projected that it was going to be. And so then it felt like, man... Are we going to believe the Lord is in this or not? And so we went and we borrowed some money. Here's what I believe. I believe, and this, here's where we're at in the process too. Let me give you an update. The city has the permit. We've submitted it. They gave comments. We responded. And usually they say it takes about three weeks, but they did tell the architect on Friday, we, th they, we think your project's going to come out a little further. So you're going to see dirt moving around this place pretty soon. And, and what's happening on the inside is going to be told to the community. But here's what I believe. I believe soon after that cross goes up, it's going to get paid for. Like, just, like that's what I'm walking in. I believe it's going to happen. I, I, whether it be new folks coming in or whatever, there's just like they're, they're, the, the, the world is in dire need of churches who will stand on the word. And I believe that, that what this passage teaches, I think that even as we say, man, we're going to be good stewards of what the Lord entrusted to us, and we're going to press in and believe the Lord wants to use us to advance the kingdom and teach the truth of the Word of God, I believe He's going to raise us up in this community. And so I think that's why it's a good place to test the Lord. And my challenge for you would be, is if you've never done this, I dare you, I dare you to do it for six weeks. I dare you. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, I'm so confident in this. You tell me you want to try it. And for six weeks, if you don't see that the Lord blesses you, we write you a check for everything you give back. That's how confident I am that the Lord will bless you. It's like the, it is the word of the Lord, man. And, and here's what's going to happen, is if you take that, that step of faith, you're going you're gonna to start getting movement with the Lord like you've never gotten before. And I, like, I'm not talking about financial movement. I'm talking about like you're going like to surrender in a way that you haven't surrendered, and you're going to watch the Lord lead you down a path he's never led you. And you're going like to, like, this is what the Lord loves, man. <laughs> he loves a cheerful giver. And when you can give that way, man, and you can be happy about it and feel confident in it, man, then... The Lord is like, look at this. Look at my kids, man. It's like he, the Lord loves for you to walk in that. And so that is my challenge for you today.
And, it's, and again, I would say this. I'm not challenging you because we need the money. We're sitting with plenty of money in the bank. We already got this project financed. Like, that's not it. That's not it at all. It's about your spiritual health and you walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, have you tested the Lord? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Talk to the Lord right now about testing him. That's, this is the cool thing. One of the few places. We always want to say, Lord, if you will make this person change, I will follow you. And the Lord says, hey, if you will do this, I will show myself to you. This is one of the few places in the, in the word, and there's not very many where the Lord like, would see an example of something like this, and he's, he's saying to us, you can do it, and I will show up. And so you talk to him about what that test is all about and his desire for your life. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the word and what it teaches us, how it challenges us. And I thank you, Lord, for all of the word. Some of it, Lord, is just easy and fun to talk about, how the Lord forgives us and you forgive us and you pour your grace out upon us and all of that. But Lord, when it comes to our money, it's a little bit more challenging. But I thank you for that because of what you've done in my life. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people here that are walking sort of in a bondage over that, that you set them free. You set them free. You continue to do what you started in this ministry. Lord, and I'm excited about the people you're gathering around OPCC. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the marriages that are going to be transformed, Lord. I'm excited about the ministries that are going to start, Lord. I'm excited about the people who are lost and know nothing about you, how they're going to be drawn to your people. And you're going to change their lives. I'm excited, Jesus, about revival. I'm excited about disciples that make disciples. But not big churches. Disciples that make disciples and bring you glory and honor. I pray for your blessing upon your people that are gathered here today, both here and online, and whoever may see this later in the week, Lord. May your truth fall on their ears, and may they have ears to hear and eyes to see, and may you bless them with the abundance that you promised. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.